welcome to GrandFontsale.com, where we're passionate about building confidence through education. Today we have the privilege of interviewing Shaul Norman, who is a founder of Onnet and many other startups. I hope you enjoy this interview. Cool. So, Shaul Norman, thanks for joining us today at GrandFontsale.com, where we are passionate about educating people and getting them more confident about life. So, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up and stuff? Cool. Well, shot for inviting me. Very cool to be here. Oh, pleasure, man. Um, I grew up in Somerset West, about 55 kilometers out of Cape Town. Somerset West. Somerset West, known to by a few. And <laughs> I was there till about um, 15, 14 years old. Then my parents wanted to be close to the beach and drink wine and sit on the balcony and look at people on the beach. So they moved to Gordon's Bay, which is quite cool. Yeah. And I went to Pavale High School. Cool. Until about standard seven. And that's where we met, right? Yes, that's where we met. And I actually then dropped out of high school, which is a little, little known fact, to <laughs> play golf full time. And there was two problems with that. A, I wasn't really that good at golf. And <laughs> B, um, subsequent to, you know, playing lots of golf, I discovered the internet and taught myself how to program. So... My parents saw that I wasn't really going to the driving range as much and forced me to go back to school. So I went to Somers West uh, Private School, which is a friend of ours' school as well, and yeah. it, it allowed you to do two years in one, so I did eight and nine in one year, and then did my trick, and yeah, and when I was 18, I moved to Cape Town. Yeah, and I remember back in the day when you were young, like 15, 16 years old, you really got hold of this whole programming, internet world, while we would be on the beaches and that stuffing around, you were sitting in your room programming the hell out of whatever you were doing. And what, what, got, what caught your attention? How did you get caught up in it? I discovered the internet and then I was really fascinated about being able to build something that anyone from any, anywhere in the world could access. It was really thrilling to me that someone in Tokyo <coughs> or someone in San Francisco, for example, could access something that you had built, so yeah. content that you had created. So. I taught myself how to program any late nights up with Americans that I met on programming forums, on MSN Messenger, chatting to them. Yeah. My dad used to burst into my room thinking that I was playing games. He'd have no idea what I was doing, <laughs> obviously being like an old Afrikaans guy. Yeah. But um, oh I was actually just... But programming in South Africa at that stage was totally, yeah. completely unknown yeah. sort of yeah. thing. So yeah, so, but it was... Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you remember you guys came to the beach and then I would be sitting in my room yeah. coding. Yeah, so. so funny, man. But I mean, look at where it's taking you today. You know, it's got you into a position to start up many different startups. If you do anything for long enough, like, you know, yeah. you're going to make something of yeah, it. I think that's true. Hey? So tell us about ZoopTap, because I mean, that's where it all really started for you. Where you got, totally. Got so I started this site called ZoopTap.com. It was a car, you know, it's a website for car fanatics that like to modify their cars. Embarrassing enough, I used to be really into that. <laughs> and, um, oh, you know, gosh. people could um, upload photos of the stuff that they've done to their car. And uh, we bolted forums onto it as well so people could chat. And we used to go to all the racetracks and take photos and put the photos onto the site. And I even used to go on my scooter to Kalani, funny enough. You know, I didn't even have a car at the time. Yeah. Uh, to take pics and put it onto the site and then hand out little cards. And then people would come back to the site to yeah. uh, check out their photos. And it was really a playground for me to learn how to build, um, you know, an online destination and um, how to attract and retain visitors, etc. And I mean, what, what's happened to ZoopTap now? I mean, because it's grown into such a big site. So um, we sold it with, along with uh, a few other websites, which I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit later, to uh, Media24. Okay. So they've got lots of um, car magazines and car properties. Yeah. So having this like motoring community 
alongside that was a good fit for them. So they're operating it now, but um, yeah, I still keep tabs on it. Obviously, as a sentimental. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, that's your baby, your of startup, course, yeah, right? Totally. Okay, cool. And then tell us about your co-founding of Blue World Communities in 2007, right? Yes. So I met up with some guys, Bradley Voges and Brent Brooks. Brad is still a business partner to this day. Um, they, they actually started a, the website called Blue World, and what they did was they took pics in nightclubs. Okay. And next day you would wake up hungover with a card in your pocket because once you photo taken, you get the card, yeah. and then you could actually go onto the site and grab your photo. But they were just entrepreneurs and didn't really know anything about how to build a website and how to um, you know, change up the design, et cetera, and like build new functionalities. So they brought me on board and we formed a company called Blue World Communities. We proceeded to build a few uh, social communities uh, within that framework. But yeah, I mean, Blue World was very uh, rudimentary in the beginning. You would come and save your pick, that was it. But you had to register to get your photo. And uh, we'd have photographers all over the country, branded photographers taking photos, handing out cards, and we'd sell advertising on the back of the cards, and those same advertisers would advertise on the website as well. Okay. So it created quite a cool online, offline advertising um, opportunity. At least that's how we sold it to the brand managers. And um, as our understanding of like the social web increased, we saw the likes of Friendster and MySpace, and obviously had heard of Facebook yeah. being in the universities in the States. We started copying bits th that they were doing. Because we had users' details, users could register there to register to save their photo, so they had like a little mini profile. So we started building out their profile, and you know, next time the visitor logged in, they would have a full-on profile with all the photos that we've taken of them on their profile. Mm. And uh, we built video sharing into the site, we built blogging into the site, we built um, status updates, all the stuff that we saw from these American companies, obviously, and you know, trying to copy and add also African element to it, um, and then. This was Blue World, and by doing so, we had created this social networking platform, platform that we could use to create social networks around any topic. Okay, cool. So, yeah, we did a, a music one as well called Speakerbox, yeah. which linked people up um, with their music interests. So if you like a particular music genre, you can interact with people based on your music genre. So I think we did some pretty cool stuff um, back in the day, things that are now uh, become massive businesses in the States, you know. No, definitely, yeah. What do you think about, um, there's so many opportunities out there, like you spoke about now, the original co-founders of Blue World Communities were just business guys, but they didn't have any techie sort of programming sort mm. of information. How many examples out there today do you think there's amazing business concepts, but they need that, that programming sort of platform out there, and how do people get involved with the right sort of programmers to make these things a reality? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the value in an idea lies in its execution, right? So yeah. I always advocate for entrepreneurs to try have a technical co-founder, someone that, you know, first, just generally, you, need, you always need a business partner, someone yeah. that you can carry the ups and downs with, someone that you can confide in. Even if you have your, your financial director, your operations director, they're still your employees. So you really need a business partner, someone on your level. And if you can have a technical co-founder, someone that can program, and that, uh, you know, if you are just starting a digital business, I mean, that's obviously absolutely ideal. Yeah. But to teach yourself how to program is just lots of hours reading, absorbing as much information as you can. There's actually lots of online tools at the moment, like Code Academy, that teaches you how to code through like yeah, a game cool. type interface. And um, makes it a little bit more simpler, more interactive. Yeah, they gamify it. They like gamify yeah. the education around programming. But you know, you, you're going to have to spend countless hours like learning and then... Figuring it out. Yeah, yeah completely. But it is very important because I see the f lots of digital businesses failing because there's 
they've you know you have someone that doesn't understand programming or digital but they've got an idea and then developers are building them something that wasn't quite what they set out to build because either their scoping initially wasn't right because they didn't know how to scope the project because lack of experience or the developers took them for a ride and then often digital businesses die because the platform isn't uh, strong enough yeah or your marketing search and social marketing around marketing your idea isn't strong enough so um, I think it's very important to have a strong base in that sense. And I think in South Africa we're going to have that problem quite a bit because I mean the whole programming world is quite quite new. There's not a lot of courses that you can actually study at the you know tertiary educational uh, Level, institutes. Yeah. yeah. So we do computer science, but we've hired a lot of computer science students, and they're super green when they come out. You know, yeah. Because so I mean programming is one thing, but then implementing the business side course, too yeah. is a whole different spectrum. Totally. The challenges of being an entrepreneur, I guess. Yeah. No. Definitely. So Blue World Communities was actually pretty successful. I mean, in 2009, was it, that you won an award? Uh, yes, I think so. It feels, feels like forever ago, but yeah. You guys got a few thousand dollars. I mean, quite the, a big... The Nokia Award. Yeah. Oh, yes. $85,000 or something for yes. that? Yeah, so I mean, so at the time, um, Apple had just released the iPhone and iTunes and the App Store, obviously completely disrupting the smartphone market. Yeah. Um, before that, it was like Nokia and Samsung and they would preload the apps on your phone for you. And that's the only real way you could get apps. Uh, you know, there was see, no like app store. Eh? There was no real app store. So yeah. uh, they didn't see that coming. And then in falling behind, no one was building apps for the Nokia app store. And even to this day, you know. I mean, they've, they've dropped off the yeah. bandwagon completely. Really. I mean, so you can see they're trying to aggressively come mm, back with, with a whole Windows bunch now, of stuff. Yeah. But you have to see they're battling. Yeah, yeah, they're tough. They didn't see that coming. So. To incentivize developers to build applications for the Nokia App Store, they hosted this um, Innovations Award, and it was for the developers that could build the most innovative app. So we came up with the idea, having quite a lot of developers within Blue World Communities to build an app and enter this competition, and we built an app called AfriDoctor. And um, what AfriDoctor could do is you could follow a series of prompts, like a wizard putting in your ailment or whatever is wrong with you, and the app would uh, attempt to diagnose you. And because we were part of uh, Media24 at the time, um, we got the data from Health24, their health site. Sure. You could actually take photos of like a skin ailment or something that's wrong and then send it in. And then we had doctors at Health24 diagnose, uh, you know, whatever was wrong with you. Yeah. And um, obviously, you know, within that sphere, there's a lot of legal issues there. So the novelty of the app, you know, it was a great idea. We, you know, we executed it really well. It was a J2ME app, so it could be, could work on the Nokia platform. But... Um, we never really got massive traction with it, but we won the eighty-five thousand dollar prize. <coughs> excuse me, from Nokia. Yeah, we were twenty-three at the time. I mean, eighty-five thousand oh, wow. dollars. We were like, yeah. "What are we going to do with this money?" <laughs> you know, it's like freaking yeah, out. Definitely. Funny enough, yeah. we spent it fairly quickly. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it was very cool. I mean, it was just a little side project, and it was, it was something cool to enter and win. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. And I mean, one of the things that you you super successful is is building up these successful platforms and actually managing to sell it off. And with Blue World Communities, you got media, it was Media24 that bought you out, right? Yes. And so it, was a, it was a short amount of time before they actually did buy you yes. out, which from a business perspective is actually a, a great business story. Yeah, I mean, lots of luck. As, a, as with anything, you need an element of luck and good timing as well. So we built these communities and uh, Media24 had lots of uh, you know, mature audiences on Fin24 and Women24 and News24. We had this like super youth audience because we'd been taking photos in nightclubs, obviously. It's quite attractive for them to get this youth audience and we had a great platform, the social networking platform and a good team behind it as well. It was like an AccuHire as well. They wanted yeah. the team to you know, get that cool, uh, you know, agile, uh, innovative, uh, development-wise team in within their business. So 
Um, they reached out to us out of the blue, which was really cool. So JP Farinha. Excuse the pun, eh? Yeah. <laughs> they, JP Farinha reached out to us, um, who was the chief commercial officer of 24.com at the time, which is sort of the digital arm of Media24. And I was like, hey guys, let's chat. Yeah. Um, and we had a I was actually in Joburg at the time because Blue Old Communities had investors in Johannesburg. And they made us go to Johannesburg and stay there so they, they could be close and see how we were spending their investments. So flew down from Joburg, met with 24.com and demoed our technology, showed them our stats, and it all happened fairly quickly. Yeah. They acquired our business. It wasn't a big transaction, a few million rand, but at the time, I mean, we were kids, so it was like, you know, really cool. I mean, we thought it was like insane. Um, and we were f one of the first sort of Web2 businesses that were acquired, uh, you know, and it's because of this wave of this Facebook and MySpace and YouTube in America was going crazy. Yeah. Post the dot com bust. Social media platform yeah. sort of thing. Post the dot com bust. This is really the rally of the internet again with all these social platforms started emerging yeah. and they were actual real businesses with real revenue models. So the American um, investors were like super focused on it and there was lots of money then. And to Media 24 had no like social community type stuff going. They just had these like newsy websites, like yeah. one way, just reading. We had like read and write. Oh users could upload yeah. their own content and it was a user-generated content. Different. Totally. So it was cool for them to get these like communities and youth audience to within their business. So it, uh, it was a cool deal for us. Yeah, yeah brilliant. So you say, I mean, it, it was a lot of luck, but I mean, it, there's a whole thing about um, it's not what you know, it's who you know. I mean, we heard that phrase so many times, but at the same time, it, you, you need to get yourself into the right place at the sure. right time. So what is what has made you guys so successful with that? Um, you know, trying to spot trends, I guess, you know, and look, no one knows what the next big trend is. If I did, yeah. I wouldn't be sitting here, but, um, oh, but you guys have, have, have pretty much hit a spot on yeah. each time, you know, and what, what do you think has made you guys so savvy when it comes to understanding new trends? Is there any specific things that you guys look at? And I mean, you do a lot of research and that sort of stuff, but what do you guys do to make it? Yeah. So, I mean, um, travel lots. So yeah. traveling always gives you a good perspective on things. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of work uh, in operations in our businesses and you get so stuck with the day-to-day -day stuff that yeah. uh, often you don't kind of have that bird's eye view to be able to get new perspective in your business. So travel a lot, uh, go to the big markets like the like America and Germany and, 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 and England and, and try to spot what's going on there and then apply those concepts to our markets using our network of contacts to, uh, contacts to make it happen. Yeah. Network is key. I mean, it's everything. You know, Networking is huge, yeah. If you could um, pick up a phone call and put something together because you've just met a guy that has a piece of technology and you can form a new business, you know, obviously it's very, very important. So, and the network only comes over time. It's more and more business you do and more and more people you encounter. But, yeah, and also just hiring um, the right people. Putting, yeah. you know, the key is, you know, one of the things that I always say to uh, entrepreneurs and what we try to do as well is to get people smarter than you are yeah. you know, working in your Which business. Which is brilliant, yeah. yeah and then let go and let them do their thing. So Definitely. that's um, really helped us. But yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, there's not a specific thing I can be like, this is the formula. Yeah, no, this definitely. somehow happened organically. It's just m being aware of it, really. Sure. Yeah. And what about um, going forward into the future? I mean, programming, how, how important is that going to be? Like for businesses, oh mega! So I always say programming. You know, being a developer is like being the new stockbroker. You know, so yeah. in the '90s, stockbroking, you were just like you know, killing it. And well, that's a good phrase. I mean, yeah. I like that analogy. Yeah. So now, if you're a developer, you'd be impossible to be unemployed. I mean, yeah. every single business needs to have something on the internet. All the consumers' behaviors are moving online. People are shopping online. Uh, they're banking online. They're consuming content online. They they're communicating online. So. Yeah. 
and all of these applications need um, programmers and all of the businesses need to plug into those networks uh, and they need developers to be able to do that as well. So, and you know, if I, if you have kids, I would say immediately, you know, push them to do programming and maths because, you know, you'll have a massively bright future and the internet uh, it's just growing more and more and more. I think the internet's going to be booming for the next 50 years. Oh, yeah, most definitely. So I mean, it's only really starting to get completely. the real traction now. Yeah, I mean, Facebook's not more than 10 years old. And think about life pre-Facebook in terms of socializing with friends. So it, uh, there's so many sectors as well that the internet hasn't disrupted. Yeah. Traditional sectors that the internet will disrupt, which they're starting to do now, like Uber that's disrupting transport and Airbnb that's disrupting um, small-time ac accommodation. Yeah, no, it's So this is going to keep everything. happening and... It and, it's, and the nice thing about it is it's, it's at your fingertips, literally. Totally. It's like, it's an app away nowadays. Completely. And most of these apps are for free. Completely. So there's a whole generation that's growing up with the internet from literally, you know, growing up with the internet. I mean, we all got the internet when we were like 13, 14. They're literally growing up with the internet. They have iPads in their hands from when they're two, three years old. So there's a Most whole new different. generation that's going to be starting businesses, you know, crazy things. They're just so digital native because they've just had the internet all, you know, all their lives. And they're going to want to do all of their activity online as well. Yeah. So and what about branding for, your, for an individual? I mean, branding is going to be internet bound completely nowadays. You know, it's, it's no, no, no longer CVs and that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's going to be myspace or about.me or sure. blogging or whatever that sort of thing is from an internet point of view so what do you what do you guys think on that branding's huge yeah so it's actually quite fascinating where you cr you create these presences about yourself and do things online and then google indexes it and you know if i yeah. google my name now there's like stuff on there that i don't really want people to see you know like <laughs> oh, embarrassing crazy. interviews from like <laughs> 10 years ago so oh that's something gosh. to keep in mind but i think you need to make the decision whether you want your brand to be bigger than your businesses you know, when we were, when I was younger, uh, I did a lot of press and often my brand would be bigger than the business and uh, at times it actually became quite irritating, specifically if you want to start new businesses and remove yourself from that business. Once you've hired some really solid people to take over the business and run with it, um, often people would be like, oh, where's Charles? You know, why isn't he in the meetings? And you're trying to uh, make yourself operationally less involved. So I think you need to decide if you want your brand's, your business's brand to be huge or yourself obviously when you have a big brand yourself it's great for networking and networking yeah. is key so yeah. i suppose each industry will have different preferences sure. whether it's yourself as a brand or your company as a brand or whatever the case sure. right yeah sure okay so when it comes to um startups that you've done what is the one startup that sticks out that was just a complete failure um i knew you were going to ask that and i've been <laughs> thinking about that um Oh, okay, yes. So we did a business called Vitabox. Okay. So it was a JV with... Uh, I actually remember that. Yeah. I remember speaking to you about totally. that. Totally. Yeah. So it was... Uh, 24.com wanted us to do it, so we built it for them, but they allowed us to run the whole business. It was a vitamin subscription service online. Okay. So you would be like, I'm a guy, or I'm an athlete, or I'm a mom, and then we would tailor a box of vitamins and supplements to your lifestyle, and then ship it to you every single month. And you'd pay subscription fees. So great annuity revenue, you know, in theory, and... Uh, the margin on vitamins should be really high, which you know, ultimately it wasn't. Um, and I think it was just too ahead of its time. Like yeah. in, in very mature markets like Holland and the States and in Germany where there's such high credit card penetration and online behavior is so mature, those things work really well. But here in South Africa, I think the, the consumers were weary to subscribing to a service to send them their vitamins yeah. every month. You know? So we did that with them and it didn't really work. We had all of Mute24's marketing behind it, like millions of rands yeah, of yeah. Uh, banner advertising uh, value and it just didn't work. 
but we learned a lot of how to set up an online store and how to do uh, conversion tracking and integrating with payment gateways and you know really just everything to do with building an online store which at the time we'd not done so that was at least a very cool learning curve yeah. and a plus that we took away from it but ultimately a total failure yeah but i mean the positive is once again you've learned so many new things totally. to go yep. forward into the future yep okay cool and Going forward, like your your new setup at the moment uh, is founding OnNet. Yes. Tell us more about OnNet and what you guys are doing at okay. the moment. Okay. So um, we, after selling our business to Media Twenty Four, we had to work there for about three or four years to reach a full earnout and reach our audience targets for the communities and um, you know try close the deal and. Um, eventually, Bradley and I, being entrepreneurial, we kind of got over it and we decided to leave. And we saw a gap in the digital agency space that uh, there were lots of big creative agencies, and um, they their clients' ad budgets were moving from radio and print and TV to online. Yeah, and they were kind of out of their depth technically in terms of how to execute their clients' online campaigns because you can you know get a you can film a TV set uh, segment or you can create a radio ad or create a print ad, but digital campaigns are largely driven by technology, which is yeah. quite tough to execute on if you don't have a bunch of developers yeah. and big agencies hiring their own dev teams, there's massive problems in that as well. So we saw a gap in creating a technical agency where we would plug into other agencies, become their agency's agency, if you will, and help them to execute on their clients' um, digital campaigns. So we have a bunch of platforms that we've built that we now, that does, um, bunch of things that are common to agency campaigns and then we license the technology to them. We're about 35 people in Greenpoint and l mostly developers. It's a very like hacker culture, um, um, technology focus and we've just hired our first performance marketing um, executive who's going to help us with do performance marketing. So you know, paid media in within Google and Facebook and Twitter. I think this is a massive part of the future. Now yeah. that Twif Twitter and Facebook is listed, um, they're going to be putting lots of pressure and generating revenue. And a lot of the revenue comes from uh, performance marketing, your pay-per-click stuff, yeah. pay-per-install, pay-per-acquisition stuff. So a lot of ad budget will be flowing there because it's ultimately measurable, which I think the brand managers are really enjoying, measuring their ad budgets, you know, to the yeah. T. And as on it, we can build your property and then drive audience to it now as well with the performance marketing. And I think those are two big things. There are these big full service agencies, which um, was very popular. And I think obviously, you know, there's I have friends that have built massive businesses, um, you know, you know, building out their full service agencies. But I think there becomes inefficiencies, which you're not quite good at one particular yeah, thing. Yeah, you don't specialize anymore. Totally. It's become a generalist and not sure. a specialist. Yeah. Sure. So we I looked at what happened in the UK and the whole full service agency model is kind of falling apart and now there are these more niche agencies that are emerging like UX agencies and technical agencies, agencies around specific topics. Um, and I think in future a lot of the brands are going to start internalizing a lot of their creative process, a lot of their advertising uh, objectives and then they'll sp uh, outsource some key elements to niche external agencies. And I think tech will always be that, where they'll yeah. rather just get tech guys to help them deliver on their technical platform. And that's uh, that's the vision for Onnet, at least, yeah. Okay, and Onnet, I mean, Onnet is really making headlines at the moment. I mean, it's just growing so fast. How are you guys managing that, like as the founders and directors there? So, definitely out of our depth uh, in that sense, because we went from 10 to 35 people in one year, which is lots of challenges on the company's culture, Lots of new people joining all the time and the induction process needs to be really refined so they get up to speed very quickly and 
Uh, there's lots of pressure on the company culture because now lots of new faces are arriving, lots of different personalities. That core little band of married men that was in the beginning just smashing out projects, now there's 35 of them. Yeah. So you have to really work lots in company culture and getting people together, company events like drinks on Fridays, etc. Um, to be able to get them all to gel and creating a community totally and hiring is very important as well and very difficult as well because we need a you know right now we need to hire another 10 people and yeah. there just aren't developers in Cape Town so now that puts uh, pressure on your hiring and sometimes you might get the odd guy that wasn't right and upsets the whole apple cart so it's very difficult difficult in resources as well there's strains and all sorts of resources your your office space and, and, and you know your, your uh, internal processes project management the way that you structure and roll out your projects. Now there are bigger teams working on these things, uh, processes that we just made up that now need yeah. to be more like formalized and really thought out to involve bigger teams and execute on bigger projects. So Proper workflows. Yeah, and that totally. Sort of so lots of pressure on that, but it's been, it's, uh, it's been a fun ride. You know, with the agency space, it's not really a scalable business, so more clients mean more staff. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's actually a terrible business in that sense. Um, but because of there's so much digital opportunity now, our biggest challenge is not uh, our biggest challenge is picking the right project to take on. There's so yeah, much work out there. Yeah. I mean, we don't even have a website, funny enough. We just have a little splash face that says, like, yeah. hey, we're too busy, and if you're a developer, contact <laughs> us. Um, I so mean, that's a, that's a cool problem to have. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, busy agency, you know, yeah. this uh, agency with a good website is not busy enough, I always yeah, say. exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, there'll always be a good business. It's just a tough business to scale. You know? Okay, and you, you're hiring and, like, getting new staff on board. What, what do you focus on? Like, who are you looking for? What sort of characteristics are you looking for in people to join the team? Because, I mean, you guys are a very niche, trendy bunch of guys. Mm. So you don't want anyone just to come on the team. What, did, what do you look for in someone? Totally. So we have managed organically somehow just to create a very hardworking culture. So no one really leaves the office before 6, 6.30, which is amazing. You know, even yeah. sometimes we're like, you know, you guys can go home and they're just sitting there like, programming really immersed in their work so I don't know how we've managed to pull that off but to keep that going that's something that we really look in hiring we always say that you'll learn in three months and on it what you'll learn anywhere else in a year and we're trying to hire those like mid-level developers that we can upscale um, into rock stars very quickly um, guys that are hungry guys that are willing to learn rock stars that's brilliant um, so that's very important then we've actually hired um, people full-time just to surf through LinkedIn, upgrade their accounts to premium LinkedIn accounts and just surf through LinkedIn to try find people to hire them because working with recruiters you don't always get the desired results because recruiters don't know how to vet CVs yeah. and you just uh, deal with a lot of a uh, lot of bad candidates and we don't have time to do like 50 interviews like yeah. we often hire people like right there then on the spot after the second interview so yeah because I mean you, I suppose you know whether it's the right person or not you, totally. know, you can pick it so up so I rely on our, our CTO and um, our lead developers to you know, interview the guys as well and we give them tests to do that they have to do right then and there and test post the meeting to be able to uh, yeah. you know, vet their quality but it's always difficult as well someone can really sell them well sell themselves well in the meeting and um, so the co-test is a uh, uh, quite important yeah yeah now you one of your attributes that i can remember since 15 years old is that you are extremely hard working guy do you have any idea how this all came about? Is it something that you've inherited from the family or um, is it just because you're passionate at what you do? Or, or so I think that's key. You know, yeah. I think, you know, even if you're working just as a career person, working somewhere, I think you need to be doing what you're passionate about so that, you know, they say that you don't work a day in your life, which is, is you know, semi-bullshit because even when you are passionate about something, you can have massive ups and downs and not, yeah. I don't wake up every day going like, yes, work, you know, like <laughs> there's, 
you know, but I do really enjoy what I do. And um, my dad worked really, really hard all his life. I think I, I'm a lot like him, so I think that's why I get that and from. your dad was extremely successful, yeah. that's why, you know? Yeah, completely. So, but I just found out at an early age, very luckily, what I wanted to do. And I've just I immersed myself into it. And I just really love building online destinations and building out online revenue and um, building teams to achieve that, you know, putting people together, starting new businesses, that first six months of a new business, the most exciting part where everything's like new and you're really putting things together in the product and getting your first sales going um, is um, uh, really exciting. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think, it's, uh, you know, you're right. I think it could be something that I inherited from my father, just yeah. like loving, uh, you know, loving working. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's paid off big time because I mean, you've also been by Mail and Guardian, they've ranked you out of the top 200 executives. Uh, so it's the top 200 young executives, okay. something, something like, you know, seven years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, which is still cool. Uh -huh. I mean, it shows the hard work paying off. Sure. And what about uh, now you, you guys deal with pretty big clients. I mean, Media24, I mean, Blue World Communities bought out by them after, within what, a year or two years? Yeah, a couple of years, I think two or three years. I mean, that in, and that in itself is a success story. And then you've got South Sea, you've got ShopRite. Checkers, yeah. Yes. So how does it, how do how do you guys land such big clients? Like, what makes you guys different to the other guys out there? Execution, I guess. So uh, we've you know we've got some really good case studies of things we've built and executed on, and um, I really enjoy presenting, doing business development. So getting the right meetings, with the right decision makers, and presenting to them um, the technology that we've built. And there's various strategies within that, like with Shopper Checkers, we work with 99 Cents, which is their agency, but we yeah. plugged into 99 Cents to help them with digital um, okay. for Shopper Checkers, help them with the technical aspects. You know, they're a massive agency, they've done amazing things, um, but technology is always tough as, as Checkers wants to spend more and more online, um, you know, driving their digital properties. So we've plugged into them, and in so doing, we started working with Shopper Checkers directly, which is great. I mean, a massive opportunity there, great brands to, uh, to work with. Um, Media24, we obviously had lots of kudos in the group after being aboard and doing things within the group. So when we left there, we had lots of great relationships and we leveraged those relationships to be able to get uh, more work from them. Okay, and with, with Media24, I mean, you're, you're zooped up that you sold out to them and then you've got Blue World Communities. Yes. Now, did you approach them with a proposal or did they approach you guys or how did that go? Uh, they approached us uh, because they wanted, you know, they wanted to do something in social. So they saw what was happening with Facebook and MySpace and they yeah. wanted a part of it and they have massive audiences and we had the technology, a youth audience and a good team. So. Um, yeah, they reached out to us. That was cool. So how did they how, how did they find you guys? So that talks to <coughs> a personal brand. I think that you yeah. touched on earlier. So at the time, I was uh, blogging and, and and you know doing all sorts of stuff online. So I was quite visible in the local industry. And the South African internet industry is like very small. So uh, it was quite easy to be visible. I spoke at a lot of conferences and at workshops and little. Um, private dinner things and um, so you work pretty hard on that yeah and they brand, yeah right? then we, we were always like hey this is us this is the blue world story and they just somehow you know, found us yeah. okay cool well that leads us to your your blog I mean you got uh, it's bandwidth blog right bandwidthblog.com yeah which is a little hobby tech news website which I'm yeah. trying to take a little bit more seriously these days but I often don't have uh, much time for it but um, yeah We've used Banner's blog really, you know, and it speaks to the other points, uh, to get uh, into conferences for free and to get meetings with the right people. So often we'll do an interview of someone on Banner's blog, someone prominent that we want to chat to, do the interview and then post that you have a relationship with them that yeah. you can then discuss business with. So yeah. it's quite a good strategy, yeah, a Trojan definitely. horse type strategy. Yeah. But 
generally Bandit Blog writes about uh, local internet companies and about uh, gadgets, handsets, mobiles, obviously massive and there's huge amounts of new phones coming out all the time. They, it reviews phones. Yeah. It's not really a big business, it's more of a hobby and advertising isn't really a solid revenue it's like model. It's a pro bonus sort yeah. of thing that you've got running. It helps us build our brand as well because yeah. we've got this mouthpiece that we can use um, to communicate to the market. and. There's about 60,000, 70,000 uh, visitors a month. So oh, wow, that's brilliant. It's, uh, it's cool, yeah. And what about blogging in general? What do you think the future of blogging is? Um, sure, blogging has come and gone, I think. Yeah. I think there's lots of different um, uh, ways to publish content online now. Medium.com, I'm sure you've seen, is this new like long-form type uh, platform that's created where people are uh, contributing content to. Um, I think, you know, um, Twitter as well, people are writing much shorter form content because your attention span is really short, so getting your message across yeah. on Twitter, there's that as well. So you know, I don't, you know, I mean for my sins, I don't get enough time to follow blogs or read blogs or read much online because I'm so busy, but um, I think publishing in general obviously is moving online. You know, people are creating content and you know, putting it onto the internet, whether they're doing that through uh, blogging or through Twitter or microblogging service or medium.com, I mean, it depends. Okay, and if, if you had to say if someone wanted to really get their online brand going, wh what, what sort of route would you advise people to take today? Yeah, create unique content like you're doing right now. I think it's a great uh, idea. Video content is obviously quite tough to create, so you've got a real good niche here yeah. as well to create video content and engage with people online. So go to Twitter, whatever uh, brand, whatever sector you want to operate in, find other thought leaders in that space and start interacting with them on Twitter. They'll start replying to you. And their followers will see their interactions with you and you can start building your uh, brand like that. Create content, guest post on other platforms so you can tap into other people's audiences. Um, network, go to networking events, you meet as many people as possible. Okay, cool. And who, who out there do you think has actually got this down? Anyone specific? Um, I have a really good friend, uh, Adrian Pinar, who's on our name as AD, yeah. and he's done a great at uh, branding himself. He's written a few I mean books. He's written a yeah. book at the totally. moment on yeah. branding. Completely. He's, he, I think he's, he's always been really good at that, and he's been really success, su successful in his businesses. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Yeah, but I think that's a great example. Yeah, I mean, AD sure. has done a brilliant job with uh, online branding, and that's what made him get to sell Wu Themes at such a good profit. Eh? Yeah, completely, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. And now, just what is what is the one thing that what, no matter what startup you go into, you will always take with you that you know is like a guarantee, no fail sort of strategy? Oh, there's nothing that doesn't exist. You know, I think that's a fallacy. Yeah. You know, but um, hard work and determination. I think you're definitely going to fail, and how you pick yourself up is uh, the key point. Um, hire really smart people. Surround yourself with really smart people. Um, once the business gets to a certain size, let go of. You know, you can't control everything. You know, yeah. really let go and allow uh, your executives to do that 80%, where you just take care of the 20%. You know, they're not going to be able to do something as well as you can or could, but that's okay, you know, yeah. you can manage that little bit of downside. So that's something that I struggled with because I was involved in operations, going to all the meetings and managing all of the projects and I started yeah. getting stretched really thin. And when we wanted to start new businesses, uh, it became a massive problem because I couldn't scale my own time. So yeah. we hired lots of solid people and um, just let them uh, do their thing. And yeah, I mean, in when you run a business, there's only two real states. It's you know, euphoria and terror. You know, mm. there's very, very little, it's the middle ground, either like, you know, in heaven or yeah. you're in the dumps and just, yeah. you know, 
prepare yourself it's for never, that. Too. It never goes smoothly. Hey, it's no. always up or down. You have huge wins. Some days you're like, wow, running a business is yeah. amazing. You just <laughs> killed this contract. The next day, clients, you know, hating on you, and you're yeah. like, what am I doing? I hate life. And no, so, definitely, yeah. definitely. Now, with your with your operations, like with you in general and your personality, you've kind of found your niche, and it, it's more or less the operations sort of space, right? Now, how did you come to terms with that? Because I was always a one-man show. I think right in the beginning, building my own websites, I was handling yeah. all elements of our, uh, of the you know businesses back then. They were tiny little websites, yeah. weren't really even businesses. But um, I like executing and managing projects. I have a good product sense as well, so I can manage the rollout of the products. Um, I can manage development and design teams really well. Um, having done development myself and having briefly studied uh, design at City Varsity, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I really love being in the trenches there with the staff, like smashing out projects, you know, and, and I don't get to do a lot of that these days as we scaled our business to a big size and we've started new businesses, but I really do enjoy operations. I've tried to, well, I'm not just doing that, you know, now yeah, I no, really yeah. enjoy doing business development, meeting new people, building network, presenting. Um, yeah, but I mean, quite right. Operations has always been something that I've, you know, just naturally been good at. And I think, I think it's because I started when I was really young, just being yeah. one man show, having to manage and roll out projects myself. Yeah, and we've got a like this generation. I mean, we've got we've been speaking about techie stuff and programming and that. But going into the future, social media, how big a role is that going to play within a business community, not within a personal community, but within the business community? Massive. So if you think about Facebook, it was founded about you know ten odd years or so, yeah. and, 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 and and you know if you think about life pre Facebook for brands communicating with uh, consumers, it's completely changed the game. And um, Twitter as well. I think it's massive. The key for brands is that they need to have conversations with their customers, you know, on these social platforms, Twitter, yeah. Facebook, etc. There's all these other platforms as well, like Instagram and Pinterest, etc. Um, it's pointless just blasting your messages out there just to tick the box that you are on these yeah, platforms. Definitely, because I think to people on the different platforms, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, they've got a unique way of communication of course, yeah. and they want you to communicate in that sort of yeah, completely. platform, right? Completely. So, you know, I think these social properties will just uh, continu continue to emerge. Like what's a trend that I'm seeing overseas is that entrepreneurs are trying to break off pieces of Facebook and build uh, them as businesses by themselves. So like, you know, Instagram was, took the popularity of photo sharing on Facebook and then created a standalone app based on that yeah. and sold for a billion dollars. And then WhatsApp looked at the communication, instant messaging happening on, you know, on Facebook and then broke that piece off and launched that business by itself as well. And I think that a lot of that is happening where people are looking at certain verticals of Facebook, you know, isolating them and then building their own business out of that and um, that'll continue to happen and that'll continue to create social platforms which brands need to interact with uh, their consumers on and it's very careful um, in terms of your online reputation management in terms of spotting what's happening with your brand in terms of the consumer discussion yeah you know I've seen some nightmare brands you know where something happens uh, where the brand does something wrong and then people take to Twitter and Facebook yeah. to voice their concerns and then it just goes viral you, and uh, it yeah. just you know so you know, it's a platform to have a direct line of communication with your customers and brands should use that. Like I see the ISPs do that really well. Like what if all of a sudden if your ADSL is slow, some guy tweets AfriHost and goes, hey, my, ADL, my ADSL is <laughs> slow, whatever, and yeah. they respond right away. Straight away, Other yeah. people can see and they're like, wow. It's they like live streaming or yeah. live communication. Yeah, it's a CRM, like a CRM right there. Yeah. Customer relations. So I think management. that you know it's very important. For that element is important for that CRM element for building your brand, but also just be aware to manage the perception of your brand and really, if there's a problem with a consumer, or just sort it out. And often you'll see them tweeting or posting an update saying, "Oh, thanks, 
X brand for fixing X Y Z. After the previous day, they were massively disgruntled. You know, so yeah. it's a great way to uh, have a direct communication with your customers. No, most definitely. I think it's going to be like the way of the future, in my opinion, when it comes to the whole social media yeah, totally. platform. When it comes to businesses, social's not going anywhere. It's huge. It's huge, and it's, I think it's only going to get bigger and bigger as we go along. Um, so you guys are obviously approached often when it comes to new startups and all that sort of stuff. How do you get your mind around what you're going to do and what's not worth your while? Um, we look for businesses that are scalable. Having this agency business has really taught us a good lesson that you know it's not a scalable business. It's a very tough business. More clients means more staff. So we try to um, find businesses that are scalable, business models where you can join, generate annuity revenue. Um, we've started a business in the sense called SafeSmart. SafeSmart.co.za and it's a lead generation business. We have relationships with call centers where uh, we can give you insurance leads to a particular call center. So we'll plug into audience partners, they'll send us visitors. People can click and compare like insurance plans and funeral cover plans and cell phone contracts, et cetera. And then once they apply, it goes to the call center and then the call center calls the person and tries to close the lead and yeah. then we get paid per lead. Okay, Whether cool. we do 10 leads, 1,000 leads or 500,000 leads, we need the same amount of staff. So it's an infinitely scalable business. Yeah. and. Um, it's a defensive business as well, which is something that uh, we look at as well, because uh, we have those relationships with the financial institutions, which is you know hardish to come by. Yeah. So ha you know having uh, barriers to entry is very important. Having a very scalable business model is very important, and annuity revenue is very important as well. Yeah. So you don't have to chase that flash in the pan yeah. sale. You can just build your subscription revenue or your lead revenue or whatever the annuity revenue yeah. model is over time. So you do a lot of those uh, analyzing. Uh, or you'll analyze most of those sort of startup options before you would even look at going into it, right? Totally. So, I mean, we've got a good uh, bullshit detector. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 15 years now as well. Yeah. So if you do anything for that long, um, you have a bit of experience yeah. on what's going wor to work, what's not going to work. Something we stay away from is the big uh, popular verticals that the, you know, the Americans control, I always say, like instant messaging and social and yeah. mobile payments. These are like huge gaming. These are verticals that you can't really disrupt the deep-pocketed Silicon Valley startups or companies in the valley, the capital there. You, know, you won't be able to compete against them. So we try to start businesses that aren't on uh, that sort of first-tier consumer internet uh, level. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. And what what um, books do you guys recommend at the moment? So for my sins, I don't read that much. I my every year my goal is like cool. I'm gonna read lots, <laughs> and I bought my Kindle, and it's just like I never use it. But something a book that I really enjoyed was Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Things About the Really Hard Things, and it's about how him and Mark Andreessen uh, built their businesses like Netscape Navigator yeah. and uh, and Opsware and. The lessons that he provides in there is, you know, is unbelievable. And they were like also, you know, kids, young kids, just listing businesses for billions of dollars. Yeah. You know, like it's they learned a lot of lessons, lost a lot of money, made a lot of money as well. So um, that's a very good book. The hard things about the really hard things. You know, okay, check it out. cool. So if you had to have, if you had one night, right, and you could go out for dinner, to dinner with anybody, who would that be? Who would, who's your role models? That who are people that you look up to at the moment? Um, Tough one. Um, I well, let's give you let's give you a table of four or five. Okay. Oh, that I can choose from. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling to choose <laughs> one. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the obvious answer is obviously Elon Musk. I mean, like you know, Kay. total god. You know, um, and being South African as well and is very cool. Um, um, he he's really put South Africa on the maps yeah. in America, right? Yeah, completely. And he did what PayPal. He's got the new cars. Yeah, Tesla. The electric cars. And the Solar City as well. Yeah. You know, and SpaceX. Yeah, I mean, doing some crazy stuff. I mean, just. 
been executing on stuff that people just dream of doing and 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 and, 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 and tackling such uh, challenging projects. I think you know, his businesses are going to be worth hundreds and hundreds of billions in years to yeah, come because it's long. just doing like solar and cars and space travel, all these like crazy verticals that you know you know. Yeah, he's just on a whole nother level. Completely. Man. But what I'd like to do is I. Um, a lot of my friends are actually my business partners as well. So yeah. it kind of creates this like automatic mentoring all the time. So always during the week, we're going out for dinner, et cetera, and we're like mentoring each other. Yeah. You know. So my friends are my business partners. Yeah, you know, which is I, brilliant. I talk shop like all the time. So I guess it talks to being a bit of a workaholic. So um, I have mentors and friends with me all the time that are building their own businesses as well. Like, uh, Bradley Voges, my business partner in yeah. in, in Onnet, and, uh, uh, and you guys have you guys have walked quite a long road with each yeah, other. Yeah, nine years, yeah, I mean, never any problems. Really are which like brothers, and completely. you guys trust each other one hundred percent. And totally. do you think that's quite a big role of your success for the two of you? Definitely, Is the two of you joining forces. Oh, of course, definitely. Like I said, you always need a business partner to bounce off and equalize you when you're being a little bit too emotional from because you got a bad email from a client yeah. or whatever the case may be. So to help you with the uh, the downs and celebrate the ups. Um, so we've, th we've been doing business for eight, nine years together. Yeah. So I think that's massive. Um, I've got another friend, uh, Jesse Hempson Struthers, which absolute golden touch guy, brilliant, brilliant entrepreneur. He's got a sports betting business and an ESP and a, and a few other businesses. And yeah. um, we're doing Safe Smart together, Brad and I and him and another friend, Luke. Um, just have this network of guys around you that yeah. have succeeded and failed and learned from and just someone to bounce ideas off uh, when you're having dinner. I think that's uh, very important. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Okay, cool. And um, if we had to leave anyone with young, aspiring, or any aspiring entrepreneur, what if we had to leave them with some information from Shaul Norman? What would you would like? What would you like to give them? Um, you know, them starting out a business. Yeah, or just just yeah, just aspiring to be totally. better business people, better entrepreneurs. Uh, be passionate at what you do, obviously, you know, like so that you can just work day and night because you will in the beginning, yeah. you know, to run your business. Get a business partner to help you. Um, yeah, I think those are two very important things. And just get ready for the highs and the lows. Like I said, there's always euphoria and terror in business, no middle ground. And it is really like that. So. And it's managing those highs and lows. Yeah, of course. Yeah, completely. And then for you, in your case, you've managed it through having a, a, a really good partnership and totally. you guys bouncing off each other. Now, do you. Do you and Ben compliment or Brad compliment mm. each other when it comes to roles and skill sets, or are you guys pretty similar with that? Completely different, which I yeah. think is the key. So you know, good, good point. Um, Brad's really strong with uh, finance and admin and business development. He studied in economics in Holland, yeah. and I'm more like tech operations uh, side. So the, together, I think it's a good combination. Yeah, yeah. brilliant, awesome. Well, Shaw. Thanks so much for joining us cool, today at GrandFromSale.com. GrandFromSale.com. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, bud. Thanks so much. Cool. Cheers. Goodbye. Bye.